the reality is all women need support that, right. that's different and, and unique. And so I think that, that similarly here at the university, you know, if we can sort of have everybody really saying, you know, this is a priority for us, but we also should think about what are the different things that women need to be successful. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications. Hey, folks, welcome back, and thanks for tuning in this week. Today's episode is number five in the Sea Change series. And for those of you unfamiliar with Sea Change, perhaps go back and listen to our first episode in the series that outlines the initiative and what it's all about. That episode dropped on April 25th, and we've been dedicating one episode per month to Sea Change ever since. In this episode, we speak with Carol and Whitney Williams. Carol's career in public service is legendary, serving more than a decade in the Montana State Legislature, including time as the Senate's first female majority and minority leader. Whitney is Carol's daughter and has followed in the family tradition of service, having worked as a high-level staffer to Hillary Clinton during the Bill Clinton administration. In the years since that, she founded Williams Works, an organization that guides some of the world's most influential and important philanthropic endeavors. This conversation was as inspiring as it was real. We discuss Carol and Whitney's hopes for what UM, Montana, and our country can be, but also grapple with the realities of what we are now. It was great to learn from these two amazing women, and I'm excited to bring you our conversation right now. Okay, so we're here today with Carol Williams, Whitney Williams. Ladies, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks. This is uh, interesting. First mother-daughter combination interview here and this is part of the sea change series and just so excited to, to meet both of you and talk to you about uh about so many things but i think where a good place to start would be i'm just curious about this dynamic of service in your family you have such a rich history of service to montana service to the country service to underprivileged populations populations at risk and uh Carol, maybe start with you. You know how how where did that come from in, in, in your work and your relationship with Pat and, and all the great things you've done? Well, I was raised in a family that cared about service and um, a political family in Butte, and my mother was very dedicated to helping people that were in trouble and really active in her church, helping people that needed help. And my dad was in politics and was always uh, very involved in trying to do good things for the community in either athletics or or um, in politics. He sure. was the mayor of Butte for many years. And okay. so I kind of grew up with politics and then stumbled onto Pat when I was in college. <laughs> and uh, then it became, you know, even a bigger deal for our whole family because he got very engaged in running for the legislature, and then, of course, eventually running for Congress. So I've kind of had a history of, of always being in all of this and enjoying it. Yeah, and history repeats itself a little bit yeah. for you, Whitney, mm -hmm. it would seem. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, I grew up in a you know household of uh, change makers and I think, you know, m moms even before her dad or, you know, relatives for generations were doing all kinds of really good, important work in the world. And in our family, you know, I have an older brother, older sister, all of us went to school here at the University of Montana. Mm -hmm. And 
for us, it was not a question of if we would serve in some capacity, it was what we would do to help people. You know, it just wasn't a question. So I think, you know, in our, uh, both our parents obviously elected officials for uh, most of our lives. So, you know, everything from, you know, stuffing envelopes to knocking on doors to meeting people or sort of helping out in community in a variety of ways um, has always just been part of the part of sort of who we are as Williams. Sure. So when when it's campaign season, the family goes to work. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and did, Carol, was that your experience growing up with your father's yes. mayoral yes. campaign? Yeah, it was. It Whether we liked it or not, we were part of it. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you obviously grew to love it. We did. I did grow to love it. And I grew to understand the importance of it and how really politics, it was a little different in when I was starting out. And, and I remember it being such an honorable thing to mm. be in government and be in politics. And so I continuing to work to make people think that that's still important and interesting. Yeah, what kind of gave you those insights early on that politics was an honorable place, a place where you could make change? And Well, you could see things. You could watch things change. Yeah. You could watch things. My dad was particularly uh, instructive because when, as mayor, he was somebody who, if there was a fire in town, he would get a call in the middle of the night and he would go to the fire. Right. Uh, or if there was an accident in town. And then he'd figure out what can he do to help. And uh, so I kind of watched him as a role model in how he made change and he got things done in, in the community. And so I, f- I felt like that was one way to do public service. Of course, there are a lot of other ways to c- do community service, but that being in politics was one of the ways. Yeah, and, and Whitney, I have to think as you, your experience growing up, uh, I assume, Carol, that your time in the Montana legislature overlapped with Pat's time in the in, in Congress? Is no. That, no or, back to back. Okay, back yeah. to back. Okay. Yeah. So, you, Whitney, you didn't have parents that were both elected officials at mm-hmm. the same time. But yet, continuously, you're looking at your parents in this constant cycle of service and politics and, and publicly engaged work. What was that like as a, as a child growing up? Oh, well, I think it was sort of thrilling. I mean, we felt so grateful that when we were little kids, we had to move from Helena back to D.C. because dad's job changed. And, uh, you know, while we all would have preferred to be in Montana, mm-hmm. we felt, you know, we knew that it was sort of this wonderful opportunity that dad had been given to serve the people. And we were all sort of along on the journey. And so, you know, they, I think, uh, kept us very focused on the idea that we were Montanans, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, So we never lost sort of the core value set or ethic about kind of who we are or where we came from, despite the fact that we had to live somewhere else for a while. But, you know, what you start to see, I think, are the just direct connections in leadership for people like my dad and my mom. I mean, I think it's safe to say, though it certainly takes a village to get good public policy done, uh, without my dad, we wouldn't probably have the Rattlesnake Wilderness Area mm-hmm. here in Missoula. Without my mom, we probably wouldn't have full-day kindergarten in the state of Montana. So, you know, there is a sort of a, a, a direct connection between sort of your belief in public service and the hard work uh, that, that it requires and then the result for the people, which is, you know, the only reason mom and dad ever did what they did. And I think that sort of inspiration for us as kids, you know, growing up around it and then as adults just really believing in the value of, of public service, despite, you know, what's going on today, which is obviously terribly different than it was when we were 
kids, there is still um, there are still extraordinary people serving all across the country, and you know I think we should all be a little more grateful for that. Yeah, I, I think absolutely we should be more grateful. We hear about awful stories all the time, and there's so much sort of in our information diet that can get us to be cynical and check out and lose faith in the process. Um, in an environment like that, I mean, you're all doing the important work, but but how do you stay? positive and engaged and, and hopeful that the, the hard work you're doing will result in meaningful change. Well, we, we, uh, we have a dog. Here? We have a dog. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we'll start with the yeah, dog. Yeah, exactly. What's the dog's name? Yeah, Lizzie. Lizzie. Lizzie's, okay. a, Lizzie's a good one. It's, it is hard, but yeah. again, I think if you, you know, if you do fundamentally believe in the role of public policy and sort of public service as a really admirable admirable way of sort of working with communities then you know you have to you have to stick it out and there's good times and there's bad times and I think for some of us you know certainly the 2016 election went differently than we expected Mm -hmm. and we had hoped and um, and then 2018 amazing things happened you know the number of women that were elected was sort of uh, you know um, record-setting and so you know you do see that like pendulum swinging back and forth and you again have to believe if you think you have a role in it and you are a contributor to society then you know you have to just kind of stick it out um we were laughing because um there are days (laughs) i have days (laughs) and part of it is i'm a a news junkie i keep cnn on just almost all the time and in fact just in the car coming down here she just got out the car for two minutes and I turned the radio on while she was <laughs> gone. <laughs> and uh, so I have days when I think it's really hard, but I always come back to the fact that the only way it's gonna get better is if really good people get involved and be committed and go work on campaigns and, and vote. And I, ha- I started an organization called Carol's List, which right. is, one of the things that keeps me really busy now is trying to recruit and train really wonderful women to run for the Montana legislature. And uh, I've been excited about that, and, and I, that always keeps me in, engaged and, and enthused. And how has sort of interest in that message of recruitment of, of great women candidates changed since the 16 election? Well, it's, it has, and yeah. there, there have been in, an interesting thing that happened with the founding of Carol's List, though, was that about 11 years ago when we started recruiting women for the Montana legislature, my, the women, women in the Montana legislature were very small numbers. Mm-hmm. And currently in the Democratic caucus, the women are in the majority in really? both the House and Senate. And that didn't come by accident. It happened because we went out and found women in the communities who were doing good things to say, yes, I'll give up my time and I'll run for the legislature. And we proposed to help them both financially and training and and uh, helping them raise money. So I think it, once you commit to doing that and then you see the results that are so astonishing, sure. then we saw even after 18, we're seeing more and more women talk about wanting to run. So you get a bump, feedback a little loop. bump. Yeah. yeah. What's that sales pitch like when you find somebody that you mm. think 
could, could do oh, this. Oh, it's great. Yeah. It's just great. And it it is interesting. Emily's List has done a lot of research on these issues about recruiting women. And we really feel like um, the data that they've come up with is that women have to be asked more than 10 times mm. to run for office, where men many very often just get up one day and say, I'm going to run just for decide. the legislature. I'm, I'm just going. I could do this. Yeah. And they don't even tell their wives. <laughs> they just go sign up yeah. to run. But um, what's women need to be coaxed, and, they, and because they are the primary caregivers in the home, even when they're running, they really need to struggle to get help for just the basic kinds of things, child care and making meals and the kinds of things that they normally do mm -hmm. and their jobs. So it, it does require them to think it through a little more how they're going to be able to do it. But they're doing it. They're coming forward and they're being being excited about being part of part of making a difference now. And well, I really it, planned. Isn't it true that this last in eighteen that every woman who ran in Montana, um, except for the congressional race, race uh, yeah. won yeah. Her, her race here. Mm -hmm. So it is yeah. true also that I think the electorate is a little more willing to support women uh, candidates, which is great. Well, and for the first time, I've had women say to me, I'm never going to vote for another man, which is stunning to, yeah. to me that people just think that the only real change that's going to happen, and it's interesting because my husband used to say in Congress all the time that things aren't really going to change in the country until we have the majority of the Congress as women. Mm -hmm. And that has been a struggle trying to do that. Um, but it's getting better all the time. And I think this big advance we had in this 18 election is going to make a difference for 2020 for sure. And, and Whitney, you've, you've worked for many of these these women in the last or worked with and worked for mm -hmm. um, Hillary Clinton among others uh, so you've seen women out there trying to make change in elected office yet dealing with all of these um, you know sort of structural roadblocks and and, and, and just real sort of um, challenges of being a mom and, and all those other things how, how, how have those what have you learned from those those people you've worked with yeah, well, I mean, certainly from Hillary Clinton, I think the big lesson that maybe all of us learned is that, you know, sort of not how you get knocked down, it's whether you get back up. Right. I mean, I think the sort of tenacity that she particularly has had for, you know, many decades of having lots of challenges, uh, lots of, you know, arrows coming at her mm -hmm. um, was always uh, difficult. Um, I do think it's interesting, though, when you think about women who, whether they're... Um, primary caregivers of children or maybe elder care or parents or whatever. Women just tend to be caregivers yeah. in whatever context. And so any woman that's thinking about running for office just has a whole set of sort of conditions, you know, um, that they need to sort of think through. And I think that's really powerful and important for us all to recognize that when women do it, it, it is sort of a bit more of a sacrifice in some ways than it is often for for men. And I think I just moderated a panel a couple weeks ago at the Athena conference, which mm -hmm. is this cool conference oh, yeah. in Bozeman. Athena Pack. It was so great. Yeah, and friends of the podcast. We had <laughs> oh, uh, great. Yeah, Kim and Jan awesome. and they Nicole on great. a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah. great. They great, did great. a great job. It was yeah, a I've wonderful it's conference. Amazing. 
Yeah, yeah it was really good. And, and mom, I, I moderated a panel with mom and Debbie Barrett, who okay. was the first uh, female um, elected president of the Senate. And mom was the first female elected majority leader of the Senate. And so we did this cool bipartisan sort of discussion about women and leadership and what that look like over the years. And here you have these two women who are so, so, so different in so many significant policy ways. Mm -hmm. And then really just totally similar in the fact that they're women, not only the sort of home life and what they had to take care of and the sort of sacrifices that they had to make, but also their way of leading, um, which I think is really powerful and important for people, whether it's a you know a Republican or a Democrat, women just do tend to be more collaborative. The way in which they work just tends to be about having conversations, listening to one another and bringing folks together. And I think that's pretty, pretty smart. And I think Montanans see that um, in the women who have represented us, but I think it's just true sort of across the board. And so, you know, to dad's earlier point about, uh, you know, that things aren't really going to change until we see a lot more women in office. It's probably, you know, there's probably some real truth to that, which is we've got to just, we we lead differently. Women just tend to Mm -hmm. lead differently, whether we're, you know, Republicans or Democrats. Yeah, it makes me wonder, uh, yeah, to your your dad's point about real change won't happen until women are in the the majority. Um, Yeah, and those things like differences in communication style, differences in relationship building, uh, differences in, in caretaking, whether it's whether women are, are, are predisposed to be more caring or if just the structure has demanded that traditionally, mm-hmm. um, that can have real benefits to, to how our politics operate. It does. It does. And one of the things that I think is really uh, interesting and one of the things we found at Carol's List was that um, for the first time, more and more younger women hmm. who are have maybe haven't even started to raise a family yet are thinking about running, and more and more women who do have families are running. And I think that's a challenge because normally the women who got elected would be my age. They would be in my generation where their families had already been raised and gone. So they had the time to do it, but now it's really interesting that younger women are saying, no, I can do this too. And I think that's the big change. So, you know, they're, they're, they're publicly elected officials, and then there's private citizens doing great work, and then there's people that kind of operate behind the scenes. My, my impression of you, Whitney, is you kind of operate behind the scenes. I mean, the, the profile of you in Excel magazine says oh, yeah. rarely give interviews and sort of... Mm-hmm stay out of the, the limelight. And so how did you sort of arrive at that choice to, to make change and to influence causes you are passionate about kind of through the platforms of others? Is that a fair way of characterizing yeah, it? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it was, you know, that's my life experience of okay. having worked uh, for my parents at different points in their careers. And then, you know, kind of friends and others who, um, you know, I've just been really, I think, good at that. I think I've been very comfortable with this idea that there are people who have these assets in my my day job, um, trying to think about how do I sort of help people make maximum amount of impact in the kind of philanthropy sector. Mm -hmm. A number of them are, you know, either high net worth folks or and or high profile people. And, you know, I just um, know how to sort of manage and handle that 
collection of folks uh, really well and have a good network and grasp of the world and the way that it works and uh, yeah. different parts of the world and different geographies and especially, you know, some of the poorest parts of the world, which is mostly where I've worked. Um, and uh, yeah, it's really fun. I mean, we've been lucky to be able to sort of represent a number of just really extraordinary kind of humanitarians over the years. And um, yeah, it's been fun. Could you talk through an example of like how that how a project like that comes to like 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 maybe the the ben, the, com- yeah. the collaboration with Ben Affleck in the yeah, Congo? Yeah, sure. You know how does? Yeah, yeah. I won't try to characterize it. No, you, you totally. Tell us so how, I mean, how something like that comes to be. Well, I mean, for starters, I met uh, I met Ben on a tarmac in Tanzania. I was there on a project. Okay. Uh, so I met him. He was actually with his buddy Matt um, Damon, and we uh, we met and traveled around Tanzania. And what were they doing there? They were there um, at the sort of request of Bono, who has an organization called the One Campaign, right. which has done a lot of really important advocacy work around Africa. And they were trying to just learn more about sort of what were the context and causes and consequences of all the various things that they had been hearing about but had never been there. So they came and I was there to sort of help uh, help them kind of understand the the work that the One Campaign was doing. And so we spent that week together and then Ben and I decided after that he had known he wanted to be sort of give back and make a difference in some way but really didn't know how he was sort of one of those guys who because he's you know high profile fellow and obviously a kind of humanitarian and uh-huh. someone who was very engaged really wanted to do uh, something but didn't quite know didn't know where to start what yeah and so that's sort of what we do is help people kind of find that um, and often folks have a real passion bended for Africa and Central Africa in particular but just beyond that didn't know kind of like what does that look like what do I do right and so fast forward a couple of years of working together, Ben calls it his PhD program, but a couple of like years of lots of travel to the region, a dozen or so trips, lots of, you know, books and interviews and everyone from, you know, presidents to warlords to refugees and whatever. We just ended up uh, kind of stumbling uh, on Congo. Um, it was a part of the world that's sort of unknown. Um, there had been at the time that we started working there, um, calculations were somewhere around three and a half million people had died um, just in the last 20 years. So sort of shocking that we don't all know about that. Worst Mm -hmm. humanitarian crisis since World War II by a long shot. uh, And folks don't even know. So here you have a guy who has both um, personal wealth and then sort of brand and mm-hmm. ability to get Audience. on TV, basically. Uh, and so we co-created this uh, this initiative um, in uh, Eastern Congo, and it's now working largely with farmers, smallholder farmers who are mostly women. The vast majority of the world's farmers are women. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't think about that often, but it's but it's true. And these are the folks sort of living on like a dollar or two a day who have beautiful crops of coffee and cocoa and other things that we wanted to see if we couldn't help them improve and then get access to markets here at home. And so it's been really fun and Ben is a great partner and we've really enjoyed working together. Mom uh, and Ben's mom, Chris, came with us to Congo not too long ago. It was fun to have our moms there. It was a great trip. A New Angle is underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. Hi, this is Steve Albini, and you're listening to A New Angle. Very proud, both of us, Ben's mother and I, were very proud of our kids because they were doing wonderful work over there with with child soldiers and some interesting health programs that they they can put together and communications programs that part of getting more connected people in Congo getting more connected with one another 
and uh, it was just really a fun trip. We didn't see any animals. I all thought, I'm going to Africa, I'm going to see animals. The only thing we saw were some rats and some goats, some goats. We didn't see anything wild. But it was a really good learning learning experience we both appreciated. I'm sure. You know, Whitney, you said early on in this, this portion of the conversation that you, you sort of, you know how it works, right? You know, you know how to sort of operate in the space. And, you know, this kind of, uh, I don't know what, I don't want to use the word model. That's not the right word. But, like, the idea of a celebrity attaching his or her name to a cause and trying to elevate that cause, it's kind of had mixed results. There's been totally. some very high-profile mm-hmm. failures. Yep. And yet the the the... the, the the causes and the partners that you've brought together really impactful. What are some of the sort of core principles that you sort of um, you want to set your yourself up for success with? Yeah, I mean, primarily, you know, we're really careful about the clients that we work with. So okay. I think we do the look for being the, high the net client worth being or exactly. Or yeah, like I mean, we just. We're real lucky. I mean, we work hard and we're smart, but we're we're also lucky that we get the phone calls from from folks, and we're sure. just super diligent about who we take on. And you know, um, if if folks aren't willing to do the work that's required to really be a successful, you know, philanthropist and sort of advocate, then we we just know that um, after mm-hmm. a set of conversations with people, and we're just you know diligent and careful about who we pick. And then you know, it's just a matter of sort of doing doing the work and sort of having a roadmap that, you know, you can sort of measure yourself against over time and making sure that, you know, it's a it's a part of uh, the world or a set of issues or whatever where we can actually have impact. You know, sometimes we want to do the work, but we just don't have the network or the relationship. Right. So we right. find them, you know, someone else. And otherwise, you know, we just sort of roll up our sleeves and, and get the work done. I see some parallels with Carol's List. You're choosing your clients carefully. Choosing the prospective yeah. candidates carefully. Yeah, I mean, if if there's a listener out there who sort of has ambitions to make a difference, to make an impact, and just wants to know, okay, what skill set should I be pursuing? Mm-hmm. What sort of values should I cultivate in myself? You know, sort of, what are the the ingredients of a successful public official or candidate? Well, I think to have a passion to serve is one of the things. And I think one of the things that's come after the 2016 election is women are coming out saying issues that I really care about uh, are getting overlooked or they're getting changed. Mm -hmm. And I don't like the way direction we're going. And so those women um, generally come after they've made that decision. And... uh, I think part of uh, what we try and do is just, as long as they're interested, we're interested in bringing them along. And maybe they'll get committed at one time to run, but maybe they won't. And maybe they'll, but we still keep working with women in the communities to get them to that point. We do some things called Carol's Conversations, where we just get people together and talk about the ways that they can be valuable in their local community or in the state legislature. And consequently, you know, somebody will bubble up to the top and say, you know, I think I'm ready. And those are the people that we kind of encourage and keep working with. Yeah, they sort of find it within themselves. Yes. Yeah, they ha- you have to do that first. You really do. You can't condition somebody to do something like this if they're not there already. They have to be there. There's sort of that 
that notion of having fire in your belly for something, yeah, yeah. Yeah. which women definitely need to have. But yeah. they do also need that encouragement, uh-huh. right? They need that support network and encouragement from lots of others to see themselves in it, right? Because role modeling is really powerful. I mean, mm-hmm. if you don't, you know, if you can't, you can be it if you can see it, right? Right. right. That y- you, you just can't imagine. I mean, now the things, the great news in Montana is, Mom says the Democratic, you know, on the Democratic side, the majority are, are female. And so women are starting to see, oh, wait, there are all of these women who are, uh, you know, who are there. And sure. so they begin to see themselves and imagine themselves in that way. But certainly having that, like, real desire for um, change and willingness to do, you know, what it takes, which is a lot. I mean, these campaigns are really difficult. Yeah, grueling. You know, it's like endless hours. It's lots of negativity. It's mm-hmm. lots of raising money. It's lots of... You know, talking to folks you don't know and no no idea what you'll get. You know, it's a it's daunting, but um, but it's all doable. You know, and I think that that what Carol's List has been so great at is sort of helping people to see what the steps are that one needs to take to actually, you know, to get there. Um, well, and the other is the understanding that women run have to run differently, and sometimes you have to support them in different ways than you do a traditional candidate. For instance, I mean. You need to arrange around the community for people who have kids to have somebody to pick those kids up when mm-hmm. there's a debate or something that the mother has to be gone for. Right. So you have to do different things. And the other thing is raising money is always harder for women because they don't traditionally have the networks uh, that men do in their in their lifestyle in their work workplaces, and so women have to. A lot of times, women don't think it's right to be asking for money for from people. They have to get coaxed into no, that's okay. Sure. It's good for them to be. People want to be asked, so ask them and feel good about it. Mm-hmm. That's a hard thing for a lot of women to come to because it's not natural. Yeah, and that sort of motivates me to to maybe pivot the conversation to to the Sea Change Initiative, and so. You know, like I mentioned before, this episode is part of a series um, where we're sort of broadly investigating the topic of gender equity here at University of Montana, but but um, you know, broad, more broadly throughout our our society. And you know, you are both sort of part of, but also adjacent to the Montana family. When you learned of this sea change initiative, you know, what were your initial thoughts? You know, about a university like ours with our history launching into something like this? Well, I was so excited because I'm going to give you a little anecdote. Yeah. Um, when I was when I was finishing college, I graduated from Western in education, was going to be a teacher, was a teacher. And uh, I decided over the last year of college that I really thought maybe I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted. I thought I wanted to teach, but I thought maybe I want to go to law school. And so, um, I my dad, who knew the dean at the time, Dean Sullivan, who was here at the law school at the time, um, my dad set up a meeting for me to come over and talk to him. Okay. And so I did, and had to spend a, about an hour talking to him in his office, telling him how. Uh, how I wanted to go to law school. And so he said to me, walked me back to my car, and was very unhelpful, and told me, um, you know, dear, 
Women just want to marry lawyers. They don't really want to be a lawyer. Oh, geez. And I drove all the way back to Butte thinking, I can't believe, because at that time it was the 60s and things were starting to get a little bit better. And I thought, I can't believe that at a university they would tell a woman that they didn't want to be a lawyer. And I said, well, Dean Sullivan, I actually am going to get married to a teacher, and I don't want to marry a lawyer, <laughs> but I want to be a lawyer. Yeah. That year, they only uh, only let enter one woman was in that class of that's those students of that year. Gosh. So to me, the sea change is like well, they're well established to be able to make moves that won't make those things happen with a practice in the university anymore. Mm -hmm. And of course, a lot of things have happened in the meantime to make that better. But I love the idea that they're moving forward to try and make more opportunities for women. And uh, and that's just a, an example. And I think there are hundreds of examples out there like me that uh, could relate to how good this sea change program is going to be for the university and for the state. Right. Whitney, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think, well, first of all, I, you know, Chelsea Bodner is a, is a genius. Uh, I think she's a hidden gem here in Missoula. Um, I think her thinking about this yeah. in, the, uh, in the way that she and, and everyone else has, and then Seth really prioritizing mm -hmm. this initiative um, is really powerful because it is you know, look, I, I mean, I, I went to school here in the early 90s, and, you know, there were sets of issues back then as there are today, not only here at University of Montana, but every campus uh, in the country. And um, while I think, you know, Missoula sometimes gets a bad rap, um, we also deserve it <laughs> in the past. Yeah, we yeah. haven't done right by women, whether it's safety with all the things we know about or um, you know, security overall, or just accelerating careers, right, mm -hmm. and really focusing on that. So nothing happens without a priority of making it happen, right? So I think that the work uh, that everyone here at the university and Chelsea and the rest of the gang are right. doing is really, really important. Um, it's, you know, we're never going to get to the, the, where we need to get to if we don't sort of put real time, effort, and I hope money um, behind, behind this. Yeah, so it's two women who have made a career or careers of getting things done in the public space, like how will you, what advice do you have for us to like make and lead systematic change here at the University of Montana and beyond? Yeah, I mean, I would just say, you know, continue to prioritize it. I would say, you know, we, we've talked a bit with some of the folks uh, about, you know, making sure that we involve alums as mm -hmm. well, you know, really getting sort of the, the, you know, ensuring across the campus that this isn't just sort of a you know, a pet project or a side initiative, but yeah. that it's actually like ingrained in the work of this place. Um, and that there is a shared value set around the idea that we need to support women in a variety of different ways. I mean, not unlike what we've been talking about with women running for office, whether they're, you know, Democrats or Republicans, we happen to help uh, Carol's List Democratic pro-choice women. But the reality is all women need support that, right. that's different and, and unique. And so I think that, that similarly here at the university, you know, if we can sort of have everybody really saying, you know, this is a priority for us, not just safety, which of course, uh, you know, safety is a priority and we should do better, mm -hmm. as should every campus in this country. Um, but we also should think about what are the different things that women need to be 
successful and really having the sort of brain trust of all of the talent and smarts that we have on this campus helping helping with it. Well, and I like, too, the idea that they're working on is trying to get more of the community involved in it. And I do think that's a a resource that maybe hasn't been tapped enough Mm -hmm. is getting other people in the community because that helps the university is with their program, but it also helps the community in what the projects they're working on. And uh, I think this is a, a really good step into getting the community engaged and uh, doing, doing more and working together that we can do better work, I think, if we do that. Yeah, you think of the community on a few different dimensions there, Carol. I mean, I think about... Um you know, just families of you know, so many children yeah. in this community and so many great students in our yeah. in our great public schools here. I mean, those are relationships between you know, Sentinel High School, Hellgate High School, mm-hmm. all these high schools and the University of Montana need to be stronger. Absolutely. Uh, not only with all students, but maybe maybe really trying to gain a foothold with, with women students is, is a place to start. And then I think of the entrepreneurship community. We've got mm-hmm. so many right. amazing right. entrepreneurs, men and women, um, we're going to need to be able to build a diverse, talented workforce to meet the needs of these uh, these sort of budding technology and other industries here in, in Missoula and beyond. Yeah, totally. Well, and I think, too, you know, central to sea change, as I understand it, is sort of data, yeah. right? Really yeah. understanding where we are, right? Right, we can't we're doing really an assessment, uh, sort great. of a performance assessment, and... We need to publish that to, yep. to externally, but also show it to, to people mm-hmm. like you and say, hey, what do you think of how we're doing? Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, we can't know where we're going if we don't know where we are. Right. And also, let's just own it. I mean, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. The data's not going to, we're, we're going to be bummed out yeah. by a lot of what we see in there. But let's see, at least understand it so that we know whether or not we're making progress. And that's a big deal to not have sort of, you know, looked across the university at a, at a set of metrics that are sure. very specific to, to women in the past, you know, is what it is. But we have a chance now to say, no, we're going to do this differently. Let's talk about some of those metrics. I mean, the one that people talk about a lot is, is pay equity. Mm-hmm. And I think the last sort of faculty marker, women were at the, in the sort of low 90s relative to men. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's unacceptable. We need to get to parity. Yeah. Um, what are some of the other metrics that, that you're looking for in terms of judging our performance on, on gender equity? Yeah, well, I mean, one is, you know, the sort of zero tolerance around sexual violence okay. on this campus. And yeah. certainly with regard to the sports teams, mm-hmm. right, we should just make a decision that they don't play anymore. Yeah. Period. Yeah. <laughs> That's an easy one Seems to, to mind. Sense. mind. It obviously is not so easy and hasn't been done in the past, but certainly, you know, we know that there are uh, attacks regularly. Again, Missoula, I think m- we have heard lots of statistics about how bad um, sexual violence is across the country. And I think Missoula is like right in the middle. So I don't think we're a lot worse, but we're certainly not better. Um, and I don't think we should measure ourselves against the others. I think we should measure ourselves against ourselves, which sure. is that we don't, there, no violence on this campus. I mean, I've got friends who I went to school with here. Uh, in the 90s who were looking at university for their daughters and don't want to send them here. Part of that is like we got all the bad press about it. It was sort of highlighted. Challenges there. um, Which uh, the reality is all of that, again, aside, it's just unacceptable. We shouldn't have 
violence against anyone, um, certainly not violence against women. So, I mean, I do think that that's a, a metric that we can sort of start to think about how do we do better. Yeah, we don't, we're not trying to build a safer campus. We're trying to build a safe campus. That's right. I mean, the, that's the, right. the goal is absolute zero. Yep, absolutely. And anything less is not acceptable. Yep. I mean, that's... And the other thing I think that <clears throat> we have to do, we have to be better at advancing women in the faculty area yep. and hiring more faculty that are women. And I think that's something that will come out, too, in the study. There will probably be some data that will be helpful with that because I think that has been under some, some scrutiny for a while. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to do better than we have. And I think here, you know, we're... we're so blessed in Montana to have such a richness of tribal folks and yeah. native uh, culture and, and, and all these Indian reservations and urban Indians as well is really looking at how do we prioritize women of color. Um, we have a real opportunity to do that and we uh, and or the programs that support them. Um, and I think there's a variety of ways to do that and we should just think that through. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to see how this how this mm-hmm. sort of I mean the sea change is sort of couched as a year long um, initiative leading mm-hmm. up to March 2020 the ratification of the 19th amendment but it really goes beyond that it's an ongoing um, initiative challenge struggle all of those things um, it's really wonderful that you two are involved and willing to dedicate your time I guess my final question is how do you make choices about where to allocate your time your efforts your energy particularly in a land where you know, there's a lot of resistance to a lot of important change happening. Where do you try to, to, how do you stay focused in a landscape like that? Well, the little bit of energy that I have left, <coughs> which <laughs> is bit? Come on. just a little bit, I do think it's, I, I tend to pay attention to issues around importance of what, what works for advancing women, mm-hmm. opportunities for women, and for kids. And I, a lot of children's activities, I'm on the board of the Spectrum here at the university and um, really excited about the programs they're doing and, and science and STEM projects that they're working on. And those are the kind of things that really in lift, lift me up because they're the things that are going to make the difference. Those children that are learning those skills now are the ones that are going to save us from ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I'm very excited about working with that. Nice. Whitney? Yeah, I guess I would just say I, I uh, have a particular interest in trying to help, you know, sort of underserved yeah. Uh, yeah. populations. And I I think, you know, I'm based here in Missoula, but uh, some of my work takes me out, outside of Montana. My my hope is to be able to spend a little more, more time focusing on some issues in Montana. Uh-huh. But over the last few years have been very focused on um, Puerto Rico. There's been, after yeah. Hurricane Maria, there were a lot of issues and have been working with a family who's been very, very focused on sort of philanthropy and advocacy as it relates to um, to the island. And, you know, I just have found that I've, uh, my, my team and I have the ability to really deliver some real tangible results um, for some of the hardest hit communities yeah. around the globe. And so, um, I do think, you know, hopefully for me in the future, I can do a little bit more, especially in Indian in Indian country here, which I would like to do, um, and then just more broadly across Montana if I can pull it off. I think, you know, look, we all have only time, and then whatever else, right? Yeah. But like time we just and like ta- yeah. So figuring out how and where to spend that is always the challenge because there are 
so many extraordinary organizations doing amazing work all over the place. And, you know, I think in our family, we tend to overdo it a little bit. You know, we're all on, I don't know how many boards and, (laughs) you know, really involved with lots of activities. And we feel grateful for the opportunity to be able to do all that. But it is a matter of just sort of balancing your time and um, an ability to, you know, actually do that work without losing, you know, the steam. Um, Though I think in our our world, our family, we take a lot of energy from giving, right? I think there's all this beautiful research that shows the science of the brain and sort of what happens around gratitude Uh uh, with your brain. I think it's always, uh, we feel lucky to be able to give in whatever way we can. And, you know, I think we take a lot of energy from it in general. It's like a self-sustaining dynamo of sorts. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, such a pleasure to to get to know both of you, get to know uh, more about your work, your important work. And um, thank you for your time and for engaging in the Sea Change Initiative. And we look forward to catching up again down the road. Great. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks, Justin. Justin. Okay. Hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. If you want to learn more about Sea Change, check out umt.edu slash c-change. All right, coming up next week, we have one of Missoula's absolute finest, Owen Gu. Owen is the founder and president of The Cycling House, one of the coolest businesses around. I am excited for you to learn all about it next week. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a gift from University of Montana alums, Michelle and Lauren Hansen. And remember that A New Angle is supported by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. These guys pretty much sell anything electrical you would ever need, but they also hire a ton of our students. If you want to learn more about jobs at CED, visit cedcareers.com. And before we go, I want to thank some important peeps. Executive producer, Stefan Borsum. Producer, Aidan Morton. And interns, Aspen Runkle and Max Gibson. Huge thanks to VTO, Jeff Ament, and John Wicks for the tunes. And finally, props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Finally... If you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word, and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.